guys. I'm back for another episode. This one will be somewhat difficult um, because I'm talking about how the Alyssa Attorney court case went and just all the feelings that go with that. Um, I'm probably going to cry in this episode because this case is very emotional and feels very personal to me. So if you don't want to hear that, then go ahead and just skip this episode because I don't really know of a way that I could stop myself from crying and I don't really want to at this point. So um, I did an episode about Alyssa way back in like 2020, like I don't even know what that episode sounds like at this point. It's probably horrible. Because <laughs> um, that was back when I would just record even when I had like my fan on all the time because I just didn't care. Um, and even now I still have my air conditioner on and stuff, but you know, whatever. Um, but it is like the second most listened to episode on here. So I never deleted it. Um, and so to basically sum up what happened um, in the last, like, you know, a uh, couple weeks, her trial um, finally happened. Her dad finally ran out of, like, motions and things like that to delay it. And um, after, like, three years of him in jail waiting, which I'm now glad that it took that long for the trial to happen, that he was in jail all that time. Um, the On Monday... They were about to start closing arguments, which is the last thing that they do before giving the case to a jury. Um, and usually when, like, as someone who follows true crime and also finds legal stuff interesting, I one thing that um, defense attorneys will do a lot in cases when they get to be this time where they're about to do closing arguments is they'll like do some motion to like throw the case out or for one reason or another um and the judge like never accepts that usually um every single case i've ever been interested in they always do that it's just part of like the legal stuff um the legal like kind of game of showing that they did everything that they could um, to stop, like, their client from being found guilty and all that kind of stuff. So this, but this trial, um, they did that. They asked the case to be thrown out um, for lack of evidence, which is, I've seen that in other cases. And, but in this one, the judge accepted it. And on Monday, when they were supposed to start closing arguments, Instead, he just acquitted Michael Turney and made him a free man, found him innocent of the charges, didn't even made like a juror like group sit there to hear like everything in the trial and then didn't even let them like do what they were supposed to do. Um, and that was it. And that's it. And it's like. And it's probably the harshest outcome I've ever seen in a court situation like this. Um, and it's just, of course, it happens in the case that I care about the most. Um, that's a very personal case for me, but in a lot of other incest survivors out there. Um, it's very, it's just horrific, like, um, it just doesn't make any sense for, I've honestly never heard of a judge doing something like that before. Like never, I've never heard of a judge because that's like, like everyone knows that the justice system doesn't actually bring justice most of the time, but the like people who still try to act like it does anything, um, the whole point of the justice system like, 
is to let like the court system work as it's meant to like and by that i mean like you're supposed to do the trial and let like the jury decide that's like the whole point of a trial is to have like the your peers be the one to decide if they think you're guilty or not um so to have a judge not even let the jury decide have them sit there all the for the trial and listen to everything and then like take it away before they even get the opportunity to do what they're supposed to do is just that's wild and it's even more worse considering that this happened for Michael Turney somebody who is a absolutely horrible human being who does not deserve to get all of these breaks in his life absolutely not he doesn't deserve to get any of them but he got so many in the course of this case and Alyssa and her siblings and anyone who went through that sort of abuse like me who cared about her um and their family we got like nothing and everything was as hard as humanly possible for the people that are victims and the guy who is a horrible abusive person who spent his life raping his stepdaughter and then murdered her and was able to get away with it because the amount of control he had over her life um just gets to like finish out his life outside of prison and doesn't get any sort of consequence and gets like this gift of not even having to worry about what a jury would think and like I'm not gonna act like the trial was going well before this happened either which is partly insane of why this judge did what he did um because the judge wouldn't let in the majority of the evidence in this case like I just said that Michael Turney raped Alyssa Turney it's an incest like victim case um, but they wouldn't, he wouldn't allow any evidence in about sexual assault because he said it would like pre, like predispose the jury to not like him. <laughs> okay. Um, but at the same time, the defense could go up there and say that Alyssa Turney was promiscuous and a slut, basically. Um, and did not like, and, and didn't really allow them to try to um, argue or like explain why, like why there was a time that she made out with another guy at work when she had a boyfriend that she really loved. Um, uh, like newsflash, it was because her dad was raping her. And sometimes you do self-destructive choices, like cheating on somebody who loves you because you think that you don't deserve good things. Yep. That's definitely a thing that people do. Um, but they didn't allow any of that. So they just like disparaged her character, didn't allow people to explain why. Um, the prosecution didn't really seem to care much either, which is a whole thing in and of itself. Um, but yeah, it was not looking too good before the jury even got it. So it's like why you probably were going to get the outcome you wanted. And that's like, I think that's the thing about this that it feels very cruel for for them to, for Sarah Turney to have fought so hard for so many years to get this case to trial. Um, and it, especially the way that the police treated her and how horrifically horrible they were to her and her family, um, for them to finally get there and then have it not even get to like the end point like not even get a verdict. Um, it just feels very cruel for them to put them through all of that and then not even give them like just the bare minimum of what most people get when you get a trial. Um, it's just, yeah, when I, when I, on Monday, when I saw that that happened, I was so triggered. Um, I had like a half hour of work left and I just like stared at the wall and was doing that thing that you do when you have PTSD where you're not, you're not really in the present. You don't really know where you are because you're like so triggered and thinking about whatever that like, whatever you're thinking about 
you're not really in the present, you're not really in the past, you're not really anywhere, you're kind of like in the middle. Um, and I was like that for like hours. And I kept telling myself, like, you need to get back in your body. And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to because this is so painful that I don't want to be in my body and feel how horrible and how wrong this is. Because um, it is wrong. It's very wrong. There is, this is a, this is the thing about this case is that it's a 17-year-old girl who went missing and nobody cared. And by, when I say nobody, I mean like people in positions of power who should have, who had the, like the power, like the police, people like that, in order to look for her, try to find her, make things happen. Um, a 17 year old girl should not be able to like disappear off the face of the planet and have nobody do anything to find her for eight years. That is not something that should ever happen. Um, an abusive father should not be able to control his stepdaughter's life, who he's sexually abusing so much to the point that he could kill her, hide her body, and then report her missing and get away with doing all of that um, without the police even coming to his house to interview him. I think that's one of the wild things about the Alyssa Turney case is that her dad was not even once was he interviewed with the police about her, about her missing. Um, if you don't know all the specifics about the case, uh, when she went missing in 2001, he called the police to report her as missing, but he described her the way he described her was like my 17 year old daughter is um, ran away to California to live with her aunt. And he described her as a drug user, um, which she was not. But regardless, he made it sound like he knew where she was and he knew where she was going and was just reporting her because she had like run away from home to go live with somebody else. Um, and there is a law in Arizona that I know that Sarah Turney and her family um, want to change so that this won't happen again, which it absolutely should change. But currently there is a law in Arizona that if you report like a minor even as missing, um, but they're like run away as opposed to purely missing, then the police don't do anything. They don't get involved. It says like right on their website that, um, like the Phoenix Police Department, you can look it up, that um, if you report your person as a runaway, that the police will take like a missing person report so that there's something like in their computer system if they do get like arrested or stopped or whatever somewhere else, but that the police will not do an investigation that um, finding that person is more, is basically all up to the family. And so when Michael Turney called and reported her and said that she ran away to go live with her aunt in California, they never came to talk to him. They never interviewed him at all. The, um, they didn't want to interview him until 2008, which is when they actually started investigating. Um, ironically, because a convicted murderer um, took credit for killing her. That was the only reason why the police ever looked at her case again. Um, and that was when they realized how suspicious the, her dad is. Um, that was when... They raided his house and they found 27 pipe bombs um, when he was planning on blowing himself up and blowing up like the the union building. That was like his obsession to blame what was going wrong in his life on. Um, I'll get into that in a second, but just to explain that. But uh, he went to prison for 
like seven years or something like that for doing that. And, um, but during that time they tried to interview him and he refused to do it. He said he wouldn't interview with them unless the, like the press was there, which is not possible. Like you can't, you can't have like a journalist sitting there watching, like reporting and recording, uh, like a interrogation or whatever you want to call it like that. That just doesn't work right. Um, which he knew he just wanted, uh, if he said that he would do it, if the press was there, then he had an out for not wanting to do it without it in his head, without him just looking guilty as fuck, even though he obviously did. Um, so he never had any interviews at all with the police ever about Alyssa. Um, they tried many times, but he refused to talk to them. So, and now he will never have to answer any of those sort of questions. Um, at least from the police, he won't. Uh, Sarah attorney, his daughter has tried. Um, there's a couple episodes on Voices for Justice of her, of recording of conversation she had with him that I can't listen to <laughs> because he sounds so much like my dad. Um, but they're out there if you want to hear it, hear him like just be an abusive prick and try to find ways to get out of all the questions she's asking that are very valid questions to ask because they don't make any sense, of course. Um, so yeah, to talk about me like personally with this case, uh, I just want to talk about how um, this case is one of those things that just kind of followed me around for a long time. And so it's devastating for it to end this way. Um, and there's always a possibility that there wouldn't be any justice. Like they're, they never, they were never able to find Alyssa's body. And some of the backstory before, like, this, like they arrested her dad, that's good for people to know is that the family wanted the police to go and like look for her body and to at least find her body, even if they didn't feel like they had enough at this moment to arrest their dad. Um, but the police like outright, like just refused to look for her body. And um, so it's like they, so anyway, because of that, um, there's always a chance that a jury wouldn't find him guilty because it is because of like the whole CSI law and order effect. People feel like there has to be a body or there has to be like DNA evidence or something in order for a person to be guilty. Um, and if there isn't any of that, then people tend to question it more. But you don't need that. Like you don't actually. And a couple months ago, the Kristen Smart case was able to get a guilty verdict and get um, the murderer going to prison for the rest of his life um, without a body either. Um, so it's poss very possible for it to happen. Um, but there was a, a high possibility that it wouldn't work out with this case regardless. But this was a whole other thing. Um so to talk about it through the years with me, um, I feel like uh, when you experience like incest like I did where it's my parent that's doing it and especially when the other parent knows about it, like in the aspect, at least with me, um, there's, I don't know, there's for, in my experience, there's like little things that kind of pop up in your life that kind of make you think about stuff that you're trying desperately not to think about that kind of just keep popping up in your life until you're kind of ready to deal with stuff. And they're just kind of things that help you that are outside of yourself, but also are about your experience that just kind of uh, make you feel not so alone. Um, and Alyssa, Alyssa Turney's case and Alyssa Turney herself and her life and this whole situation was one for me because when Alyssa disappeared in 2001, she was 17. I was, I'm a year younger than her. Um, 
I was 16 in 2001 when she disappeared. And so, uh, and our life experiences were extremely similar. Like, um, she was, uh, sexually abused by her stepdad. I was by my dad. She didn't have another parent there in the house to know about what was happening. Um, her mom died when she was pretty, their mom died when I, I can't remember how old she was. I think she was like eight, eight or nine. Um, and her mom seemed to have known what was happening between her and Michael, but, and like tried to, um, protect her from him, but she died of cancer. And when she died, um, custody of Alyssa went to Michael because he had adopted him, adopted her by that point. Um, and other family, like her mom's sisters, who wanted to take Alyssa and her sister Sarah, um, couldn't do it because of that happening. Um, so that, in that situation, me and Alyssa's life are a little bit different. There's always little things like that, but, um, it's, it would have been very easy for me to end up like Alyssa, to end up, um, dead. And when I was a teenager, before I even got to be 18 and had a chance to like get away from my parents. Um, so I always felt like very connected to this case because of that. It's so easy to see myself in this person and know how and know what they were feeling when they experienced all the things that they went through. Um, so just to tell the kind of the timeline in 2009, uh, that was when the 2020 episode came out. And that was the first time any of like the true crime kind of shows did a, a special on Alyssa's case. And I remember watching it. And at that time of my life, I was 23 and I was living with my sister. I had, me and my sister had moved in together like that year, that summer. Um, and we were, and we loved watching like true crime things. Like we got cable and we're using like the DVR that we had to record like every episode of like 2020 and 40s hours mysteries and Dateline and stuff. And we would watch them together um, when we got home from work. And so I watched the 2020 episode about Alyssa and I remember being mad that the show was so sure that her dad did it and everyone was so convinced that he was the one who did it because um he reminded me so much of my dad uh just like the way they talk and everything is they're so similar and and like I can't there's a bunch of episodes of the Voices for Justice podcast that I've only listened to part of or I haven't listened to at all because even the ones when it's Sarah like reading out things that her dad said and it's not like her dad speaking um it's just like too triggering for me to listen to somebody to listen to him because of how much he reminds me of of what how my dad used to speak to me um, I just end up getting so angry where I can't even like focus and I just like turn it off because it's just like too much. So um, back in 2009, I was not ready to deal with or like, yeah, at all with like the realities of what had happened to me. Um, and I didn't want, I was like trying desperately at that point in my life to believe what my mom said about my dad, that he was just misunderstood, that nobody uh, und like nobody understood him and that he was actually a good person and, and was trying to convince myself that the memories I had of the sexual abuse were just dreams because they have to be, because otherwise if they aren't, my mom is lying to my fucking face. And I didn't want to believe that she was at that point. And, um, so I remember, um, wanting, hoping that they could somehow find her, find Alyssa in the desert in Arizona somewhere. Even if it seemed like difficult to believe, I wanted to believe that they somehow 
would. There's been so many cases through the years where there's like nothing and then all of a sudden someone just finds their body. So it's not impossible for that to happen. And so um, the next time I heard about her case was in 2018. Um, and that was when Alyssa, not Alyssa, that was when Sarah had, Sarah's, uh, Michael Turney had gotten out of prison in 2017. Um, the police had said when he went to prison for all the pipe bombs that he would never get out of jail. They had said that they would basically charge him with Alyssa's murder when he was going to get out of jail for the for having all the pipe bombs and that then they would you know go forward with those and but then there is a lot of changes within the phoenix police department um i personally think that higher up people uh didn't want to try the case because they look horrible like they didn't investigate it at all for seven years when a teenage girl went missing who was being raped by her father so um (laughs) I think that they just didn't want to do it because of that. And so um, they they didn't charge him and he was able to get out of prison. And that was when Alyssa, um, not Alyssa, sorry. That was when Sarah started trying to get like media attention because the police told her to do that. The police told her to get media attention to try to get more people to care about the case that would like force like the DA to change their mind and charge and get her dad charged. And then when she did that, uh, it was clearly something they told, they tell families to like try to keep them busy so they don't bother them because when she did get a lot of media attention, that just made them mad. (laughs) And they still didn't charge him for many years, even like, like after it was so obvious that he did it and all that kind of stuff. And there was tons of media attention happening. So Okay. But anyway, in 2018, um, there is this one podcast called Missing Alyssa that was like the first one that anyone really did in like many years. And um, it was just, this is like the time where I just feel like it, it like plopped into my life at like the right time because um, like two weeks after, it was really close. It was like two weeks or something. After I told my therapist as an adult for the first time about the sexual abuse I went through, me and my sister were going on this like road trip um, where we were going to be in the car for like seven hours for the drive there and the drive back. And it was a trip we had had planned for months. And I was already like not knowing like what the heck am I doing? I'm going on this trip with my sister. I remember the entire like weekend that I was on the trip with her that I was trying to focus so hard on acting like I was normal for lack of a better word like trying to act normal and be normal um so that she wouldn't realize that I was like barely sleeping super anxious and had like brought up all of this was dealing with all of this um trauma finally when I was nowhere near ready to tell her um And since we were going to be in the car for a long time, one of the things we did, because we like, um, we like listening to true crime podcasts. And so she found, we found like a, a couple websites that had kind of like blogs of like different podcasts that are out for people to listen to. And the missing Alyssa one was on that list. And I remember seeing it and remembering her case from years earlier and being sad that the case wasn't solved um, because I was hoping that in the years between it was and I just didn't hear about it Um, and so then we listened to the Missing Alyssa podcast in the car like pretty much the whole thing like I think I don't think we finished all of it I'm pretty sure that after I got home that I listened to the rest of it and finished the whole thing um But it was very, like, kind of an amazing thing for that to come in, like, two weeks after I had told my therapist about my dad abusing me. Um, And I always remember, the part that I always remember about that podcast is 
when they played the audio from this home video that um that existed uh it was like it was it, i think sarah was like six so um six or seven and Alyssa was like 12 and sexual abuse stuff gets more painful when you're like around 12 it's so weird how all of us tend to have like meltdowns when we're 12 um and i think it's because the stuff that is happening to us starts becoming more because we're a little bit older and more painful um and we're also i think at that age is around the time where we like not only get sex ed in school but also cognitively are old enough to like completely understand what is happening to us and that obviously just makes everything even worse. Um, and so in this video, it was like, they were like out in the woods, like camping or something like that. And Alyssa says to the camera, like, Hey, Sarah, like dad's a pervert. And she says, she says it a couple of times, like dad's a pervert. And Sarah's like a little kid, like playing with the camera and her dad and like Michael is trying to get her to turn the camera off and she won't do it because she's a kid <laughs> and um, wants to play with the, the video camera. And um, and right before he turns it off, you hear him say like, oh, Alyssa is so stupid and like that sort of voice that abusive people do. And I remember when he said that, that I got like chills because it reminded me so much of my dad. So one of the things that's so weird with me and my and my own like abuse story is that um, I don't really remember uh, what my dad actually said to me. And that might sound weird if you don't have abuse like this, but um, it makes sense because it's really, the stuff he said to me was really horrible, honestly. There's been some things that have come back when like processing things in EMDR and the things that I've remembered he said are like absolutely horrifying. Um, but like one thing that happens with trauma is that sometimes the way that you respond to other things kind of tell you what was said to you because it makes you really upset. And so for me, um, knowing, like hearing how Michael Turney would talk to Alyssa, the words that he would say and how I can't even listen to somebody else reading out what he would, how he would talk on Voices for Justice and things like that tell me that that's the kind of things that my, how my dad would talk. And I know that's how he talked to me because of just being so sure about that. Um, but I don't actually remember the most of what he would say because it would, it was stuff like that. And like, why would my brain want to remember the specifics of that stuff when I was around that person, like nonstop for at least 18 years and many years after that, but especially the first 18 years, why would I want to remember him every day talking to me that way? Like, my brain is going to, like, cut that stuff out because it's just too much. Um, but hearing him talk to her like that and the other things that are out there about him on that podcast, that first initial one um, was, like, a way for me to, like, know that, that he definitely talked to me that way. And it was helpful for me in the beginning stages of everything that when I was still struggling for like confidence that I was right about this, that this really did happen. It helped me feel more confident because of how I reacted, that that reaction came from somewhere. It wasn't just from nothing. And it's funny, um, the end episode of that podcast that I listened to in 2018 said that Sarah was starting her own podcast and to go like subscribe to it and wait for like episodes to come out. And she started um, her own in like 2019, I think. Uh, but I didn't listen to any of the podcast until like 2020, whenever it was that I made the first episode about Alyssa. Um, because I knew that it would be a lot to like hear the specifics of what happened to her and her dad and how her dad treated her. And so I just kind of put it off until there was a time when I could handle it better. Um, so yeah, that's my personal history with like following it and why it feels, it's really just, uh, I think the thing about this case, besides like just why, how shocking it would be for the judge to not 
to not even let the jury decide how they feel about it. Um, and all of the fighting that Sarah had to do, getting like cut off from some other family members because she's trying to hold her dad accountable, even though everyone in her family pretty much believes that he did it. Like nobody is out there like saying that Michael Turney is innocent. The only people people are, the only thing people are saying is that they're worried that they didn't have enough evidence because they never found her body. But other than that, like nobody is out there being like, no, this guy is innocent. I don't think he did anything because he's incredibly suspicious. Um, like the dude recorded every phone call he ever made. He recorded, he had like cameras all over their house, but somehow magically the day when his daughter, uh, runs away from home, there's no, there's no video of her from that entire day. And there's, and when she called the house, apparently a week later, there's no recording of that phone call, but there's recordings of him, like ordering pizza going back to like the 1980s like are you kidding (laughs) what are you talking about or like him telling Sarah that he that if she came to his deathbed he would then tell her all the answers she wants to know like that is not something somebody says when you're an innocent person that isn't an abusive piece of shit for lack of a better word um but I think the thing with um The thing with Michael Turney is not only that he was not like this wonderful, like this isn't a case where the abuser was able to like assimilate into society and was able to like still have a job or whatever. Like even my dad did that. Like he worked at the same job for like 30 years or something like that and retired the first year that he could. And it was definitely not easy for him. Like he got in trouble all the time at work for being too angry, for anger. He had to take a bunch of anger management classes. He almost got fired a bunch of times, I'm pretty sure, from what I remember that that I knew about growing up. Um, But he still was able to get through working at that job that he hated until he was 55 and retire. Um... And so he at least, like, on paper, it would look like he was, like, a normal person working at a normal job and, and like, you know, contributing to society and all that kind of stuff, which is part of, like, the whole, like, facade or mask that abusive people wear. But when it comes to Michael Turney, like, he was on disability for an injury that moved, depending on what year you talk to him in and when and how he got it. He said that it happened from Vietnam, and then when he went to trial for having all the pipe bombs, he admitted in court that he had never even been to Vietnam, um, which his daughter Sarah said herself she did not know that until he admitted it in court. She, he, had been, he had said her entire life that he had gone to Vietnam and served there, and that's why he had like depression, and that's why he had this disability only to find out that that entire thing was a lie when a judge like questioned him enough about it because they had no proof that he ever served in the military and he finally had to admit that he was lying about it. Um, so who knows what that was. I personally think that he probably harassed the like social security disability office so much that they just gave him disability so that he would stop harassing them because that's the kind of stuff that he would do and then other than that the way that he made money was suing people literally he would just sue people and then he would the people would get so bothered by him just being ridiculous and harassing them that he would get money they would give him money so that he would leave them alone that's the way that he made his money like he would just sue random companies or businesses or whatever um Like, there's a story from Alyssa's biological dad that um, Alyssa's biological dad was paying child support, even though once Michael started, like, being involved, like, so Alyssa's mom cheated on Alyssa's biological dad when they were married with Michael, which to me makes me sad because I feel like that was her just self-destructing, like being in a healthy, healthy relationship. 
and choosing somebody who was not healthy and abusive over a good person. <sighs> but um, when they, so Michael Turney was able to um, use his connections with the police to basically adopt Alyssa without her biological dad finding out. He acted like he didn't know where he lived, even though he knew exactly where he was because they were getting child support payments from him every month. And, like, put an ad in, like, the Phoenix newspaper looking for him, which is all you have to do in order to prove that you looked for a person and can't find them. Except for the fact that they knew that he lived in another state and Michael Turney knew his address and knew how to find him. Um, because after that happened, he tried to, like, get more child support payments from him. And when he found out, when he went to court to, like, question that because uh, Michael and Alyssa's mom um, wouldn't let him see her because Michael like made him look suspicious like a lot of abusive people do they make they isolate you by convincing you that everybody else is a problem and not them um they uh he went to court about the about wanting more child support and he was like they won't even let me see my daughter why would I like why are they asking me to pay more when I haven't seen her in years and that was when he found out that Michael Turney had adopted her and it was a closed adoption. So he couldn't have any contact with her uh, until she was 18. But that's like the kind of stuff that Michael Turney would do. He was just trying to get him to pay more child support so that he could get more money without having to do anything himself. And it didn't work out for him. Um, it backfired. He He then didn't get any child support from him anymore because they were like, yeah, if he's not legal, if she's not even legally your child, then why would you be paying child support? That doesn't make sense. Um, and so, like, it's horrifying that somebody who doesn't even do anything good was able, like, isn't just, is a horrible person, <laughs> was able to get so many breaks from so many people in a way that they didn't deserve. But for me personally, the thing that was so that's so hard to think about is that of how successful he was at isolating her. And it's, and it's just something that I don't like to think about because, um, like I've known, I've, I've said a bunch of times that I easily, like I've said that in this episode, I easily could have been a Liz attorney. I don't know why my dad didn't kill me kind of stuff, but I really don't know why I genuinely don't know why he didn't. Um, because he, very easily could have and I thought that he was going to and like I don't want to make it sound like I am not happy to still be alive because I am but I don't but I generally don't know why he didn't do that because um because that's what happens to a lot of us uh it's really challenging for us to like survive until we're 18 when your parent is doing something like that to you that they know if you ever tell anybody about their entire life will be over. Um, and they just want, and more than anything too, they just want total control over us. And if they kill us, then they definitely have total control over us. And we want, and we can never like, especially when we get close to being 18, then they can, they'd never have to worry about us leaving, moving away, telling people. And because they can't control us when we live in a different place and we don't live under their roof anymore. And they can't control as easily who we see and who we talk to, um, which is why that happens to a lot of people that are being sexually abused by their parent, particularly. Um, and it's just, it's really hard to know. Like, I was talking about this with my therapist and she was asking, like, you know, if you disappeared when you were 17, would anyone have known or like, would, yeah, would anyone have realized? And I was like, no, not really. Like, um, and that's like the part that's so horrible is to see like how well people like Michael Turney and my dad and other people like that are able to isolate their victims where they could do things like this and get away with it. Like that Michael Turney was able to kill his stepdaughter, um, because from what it sounds like, she was, she was, uh, wanting to, um, tell CPS about what he was doing to her. He was, before she disappeared, he was like preemptively calling CPS 
he was calling CPS and saying that my stepdaughter um, is going to call and say that I'm sexually abusing her, but she's just trying to get back at me for not buying her a new car. And so that tells me he was worried about her telling on him. Um, and uh, yeah, so he was able to kill her and get rid of her body buy like a duplicate truck when he, uh, so that nobody would realize that he got rid of the old truck that probably had evidence in it from when he got rid of her body, um, report her to the police as a runaway and just, and like, despite like the few first days after she went missing and her friends were trying to organize, like, you know, the first few months after she went missing, he at least pretended like he was looking for her. Um, but after that time went by, he just like stopped. Um, and, and was able to do something like that because of how much control he had over her life. Um, like when it comes to my dad, like what I was saying, my dad's family lives in the state that I live in. But, um, when I was 17, my dad was cut off from his family. When I was 16, um, my dad's family finally got tired of him being like how he was every time they ever saw him and they ever got together with him, he would start an argument every single time, ever like literally every single time, every single time. And so they got tired of that, which they, I honestly think they did a good job sticking out until I was 16. And I know that they, I now know for sure that they were partly doing that because they wanted to see me and my sister because they knew that things had to have been difficult living with him on and off during those years. Um, and they couldn't really step in and do anything to stop him because of how he was and how dangerous it would be because you never know what he would have done to them or to us if they would have tried, but weren't able to like, you know, find anything or had us admit to anything that was happening or anything like that, um, which there is no guarantee that it's even gonna work if you try to do that stuff. Um, anyway, so when I was 17, my, my dad's family lived in the state that I lived in, but we didn't see them. We hadn't. And even before that, we would only see them for like Christmas and Thanksgiving. Um, and that was it. But after that, we didn't see them at all anymore. And so they had no idea what was happening with me. And, um, my mom's family all lived far away. Uh, like one of her brother's lived in California and uh, we had it, but I hadn't seen him in person in like over 10 years at that point. Um, the other two brothers she has lives far away on the East Coast. And so we would, we saw them like the year before when my grandmother died, um, my mom's mom, when she died, they all came. Uh, well, except for the one uncle that I hadn't seen in over 10 years, he didn't come for her funeral, but the rest of them did. And so they had seen us recently, but we don't see each other regularly. They don't talk that often. And so if my parents would have wanted to hide that I was missing, it would have been very easy for them to do that. Um, the family that was nearby um, weren't speaking to us. <laughs> and the family that they did speak to, it would be very easy for them to just lie and act like I was around when I wasn't, or just not mention me because they don't really talk that often anyway. Um, and like my friends would have known what happened, but there's only so much like a bunch of 17 year old kids in a very small town can do. And cases like this show that like the police and other people, they just don't want to believe that, that like parents especially are capable of doing something like that and so even if I had disappeared and my friends would have gone to like my small town police department and would have told them like we know that he's abusive this is the kind of stuff that we saw because they saw the way that he talked to me sometimes these are the things that I saw happen these are the things that of how she reacted like they all knew how much I hated him um like there were multiple times when we would be hanging out and they would come and drive me back home and his car would be parked out front of our house when he, the times when he didn't live with us. And I would just like sit there and look at his car and be, and like just have a pit in my stomach. And I knew that my face looked scared. 
Um, and my friends could tell that I, that I, they knew that I didn't want to go inside and they would sit there and like, give me like, try to make me laugh and talk to me for a couple of minutes before I would finally get out of the car and just try to give me a pep talk before I would have to go in. Um, and so, but I really don't think that the police department in my small ass town would have believed them, especially when there's other family that would have said no that that wasn't true. Um, it's just so much easier for people to believe that, oh, they just ran away. They're just being a teenager. They'll, they'll pop up some in some other place and, and whatever. Um, but it's just, it's demoralizing how easy it is for people like them to control our entire lives and just know that there's nothing you can really do about it because you're not old enough to be able to make your own decisions. And they just use that power they have over our lives to ruin it, quite honestly. Um, yeah, it's Alyssa and her family fought so hard to get the police to even acknowledge that she was missing and then fought even harder to get their dad arrested or to have to try to find her body or anything the police, they they had to, like, record what the police would say during conversations to prove that they were lying to them and basically shame them through, like, press coverage in order for them to even, like, take, take like, their case seriously, only for a judge to just throw it out. And, like, that hope that people like me had that one parent that did this may be held accountable was just completely destroyed by somebody. And I don't even think that judge knows how many people were just horribly traumatized by him doing that. Like, it's hard to be an incest survivor. Um, like the things that I was thinking after I saw this was like, what is the point of me surviving if I just have to watch things like this happen that just proved to me that nobody in power who has the power to change these things so that kids don't have to go through this don't care what happened to us. They they absolutely do not give a shit <laughs> what happens to us. They didn't even let them talk about what happened to her. Like, how do you how do you try the case of Alyssa Turney without talking about how she was sexually abused by her dad? That's like me trying to talk about why I'm so traumatized without me ever mentioning anything like that. Like, how do you even do that? Like, there's so much evidence that they couldn't even bring up in this trial. And it's ludicrous to not bring it up purely because it makes the person look bad. And it's like, well, maybe he should have thought about that before he actually did it. Like, it's like protecting the, def protecting the abuser over the victim because the victim is dead. Like, it's like you're rewarding this horrible person for being, for having it together enough to have his daughter's body never be found um, and letting him get away with that all because he was able to manipulate people right after she disappeared and get rid of her before anyone was able to figure out where she was. Um... The one thing I can take from this situation, though, is that he never thought that Sarah, the golden child of his, would ever turn against him. He gave he like let her call out of school. He like bought her a mini fridge and put beer in it. He would let her drink. He would give her drugs. He would he like he would ask every morning if she wanted to go to school. And if she didn't want to, he would just call her out and let her stay home. Um, he still abused her a lot, but. He definitely did all that stuff to try to get her to love him over Alyssa, and it still didn't fucking work. And that's, like, one of the most amazing things, because I'm sure it makes him so angry that despite all of that stuff, in his mind, he did for her. She still loved her sister more than she loved him because she couldn't not try to find him accountable for what he did to her. Um, that's one positive that I'll always take out of this situation. And the other positive is just that my, Michael Turney's life is fucking miserable. Like, he's a fucking poison, basically trying to make everyone else's lives around him worse so that he's not the only one who's unhappy. But um, one of the things they did play in the trial 
was a recording of a phone conversation where he said that um, he said a bunch of horrible derogatory words about Alyssa that I'm not going to repeat. But the part of it that it was important was he said that she was the weak link, that she was the one destroying his life. And that's really the thing that um, people do. Like I, I talked about the whole thing he was doing with like the union. He he was working for like an electrical union when he was working for some time. And when the kids were pretty young, he, um, he quit. He quit that job when Alyssa and Sarah's mom was dying of cancer. He said that the police fired him all these years, but he actually quit, um, which is interesting. Um, and it's part of like why people question if he was involved with their mother dying because um, the day after she died, their life insurance was going to lapse and he wouldn't have gotten any. Um, and so she just died on the last possible day they would get coverage. Um, since he quit his job, they were going to lose the life insurance after like the first, on like the first of the month and she died the last day of the month. <sighs> um, but the union stuff was his like kind of go-to with that stuff too, that whenever things were going wrong in his life, he would say like, oh, the union is coming after me. The union is trying to get me. People in the union are following me. They're firing me from jobs. They're taking my money. They're following my kids. They're, they're the reason. They're the people that took Alyssa. It was like an out. It was this, the people, abusive people have scapegoats. And like, obviously a lot of it is their kids obviously too, but they, he used the union as a scapegoat for his problems so that he wouldn't have to deal with the fact that he was the one for why these things happened. He was the reason why his life was shit. And um, when I listen to the Voices for Justice episodes, when they go through the timeline, when it's the years after Alyssa disappeared, but before he was arrested for all the pipe bombs, one thing... Sarah talks a lot about is how depressed he was, how he would, he said that he was like sick and he was like lay in bed all day. He would have, he had two different TVs in his bedroom and would be playing things on both TVs. And she would just come in there and like play movies for him and get him food and take and try to take care of him. And to me, what I, what I, what I think about when I hear that now is that he had to, he told himself that Alyssa was the reason why his life sucked. That if Alyssa was gone, everything in his life would be better. So he killed her. And then after he killed her, he saw that his life wasn't better. That his life still sucked. That he was still a shitty-ass, horrible person. That was horrible to everybody around him. And he no longer had the scapegoat of his stepdaughter to blame that on because he fucking murdered her. And people are now asking, and his kids now are asking about where Alyssa is, and other family members are asking where the fuck Alyssa is. And so it didn't make anything better, it just made things worse. And more than anything, he had to admit that Alyssa wasn't really the problem. And um, all those years that he would be like watching two things at the same time was just him trying to drown out his internal thoughts of having to admit to himself that he murdered Alyssa. And that he murdered her when, like, she was not the reason why his life was sucking all those years. She was the reason he, like, he was, she was the scapegoat for those feelings. But the feelings he had at the time when she was alive just got worse after she was gone. And he couldn't deal with the fact that he killed her and just try to change the reality in his mind that he didn't really do it. And, tr and he, like, tried to convince himself that, like, the union did it because that was his other go-to. Um, but I guess the only thing I can that is, like, close to being a positive about the situation is that Michael Turney has lived a fucking miserable life. All he's ever tried to do is bring down other people around him. And no matter what happens, he will, like, the rest of his life will likely be spent completely alone because everybody knows that he raped and murdered his daughter at this point, everyone knows that he did it. Even his own children know that he did it. Nobody thinks that he's innocent. He's been completely exposed for being a deplorable human being. Um, and he's going to spend the rest of his life alone and unhappy. And when he dies, people will celebrate.
There'll probably be some sort of a party when he dies. And he has to know that's how people feel about him.